Today's podcast is brought to you by Moody's Analytics CRE. As a commercial real estate professional, you manage complicated decisions every day, and to make the right call, you need the full story. Moody's Analytics CRE harnesses the expansive, integrated data and analytical expertise from across the Moody's organization, then curates it specifically for commercial real estate professionals. Learn how to make better decisions and improve CRE workflows with the Moody's Analytics CRE Solution Suite at reese.com. That's R-E-I-S.com. Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, good afternoon. How are you, sir? I am hanging in there. We are um, middle of October now. I, I can't, this, this year is just flying by. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, having more of that fall weather, though it seems to be a little stubborn. <laughs> um, still, still a little warmer than normal. All right. Well, warmer is not too bad. It's when it gets bitter cold that uh, then you'll hear me complaining. But um, uh, today you've got a special guest on the podcast. It's another David, right? That's right. We brought in another David just to make it very easy to follow. Um, <laughs> so we have David Smith from Cushman and Wakefield. So thank you for, for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so real quick, if you could, I'm sure, you know, our audience is aware, but if you want to just give a quick bio and info about the company. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm with Cushman and Wakefield. We're obviously a global real estate services firm, and I work in our global think tank uh, on the research side, uh, focused on occupier trends uh, and real estate more broadly. Um, and I think today we're going to be talking specifically about the, the office sector. Yeah. So the reason I wanted to bring you in is because you guys just put out this uh, very thorough, big report, you know, about a question that's clearly been on so many people's minds um, as we've gone through this whole, uh, pan, you know, pandemic period of when, what can we expect around the return to office? I mean, full disclosure, I'm recording from home. I'm still working from home 90% of the time myself. Um, I, I think it varies, you know, based on looking at your report that the, the percentages do seem to vary a bit, um, but even within the US and, and, and globally. So I just really wanted to get, you know, some takeaways from, from, from this report and some thoughts on, on what we should expect going forward. So if I guess just to start with how this report came together, how you started doing it, and what, what are your, some, of the, some of the headline takeaways from it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think full disclosure, I'm kind of in this new hybrid uh, workforce, uh, I think, uh, where I'm in the office three days a week and typically working remotely two days a week. And we're seeing more and more of that uh, as people do return to the office. Um, so this report is actually the first in a series that we're doing that's kind of answering three questions that we keep hearing over and over again through the pandemic. Um, and so the first one is, when are people going to return to the office? Uh, the second one is what's that continued impact going to be on office leasing fundamentals, which is something we addressed a year ago. And so we're going to update that here in the next month or so with a new report. And then the third one is really around how are organizations and occupiers utilizing their space in the post-pandemic uh, world. Um, and so that'll be a third report that comes out either in December or January, most likely. Um, this particular report, uh, as you noted, 
um, is really getting to that first <laughs> important question we have to get over, which is when do people get back uh, into the office? And we wanted to take a global view of that because um, it looks very different uh, in different places. And that's one of the key findings to, to start is, you know, in a place like uh, greater China, we're seeing 95 plus percent of office workers are back in the office. Um, and that's been true for some time. Um, even in Europe, uh, you know, when we look across kind of 10 of the largest markets, it's more like 40%. Uh, whereas the US, when we published this report was closer to about 34%. Um, and uh, it's actually continued to improve over the last two weeks since uh, we kind of had to finalize our numbers. Um, so we're seeing a movement uh, forward uh, this fall uh, that we kind of hoped for and expected maybe last fall post Labor Day, uh, but didn't really come to fruition. Um, at that time, we still had didn't have the vaccines and so forth. So, um, you know, we really wanted to look at okay, where are we right now, and what does the next uh, five six months look like, and what does that mean for sort of a return to the office? What I'll call in mass because it's not going to necessarily be exactly the same as it was pre-pandemic, but where we start to see a large proportion of people coming uh, back to the office. And, and in doing that, we really wanted to look at uh, four things. Um, so one of those is uh, the, the pandemic and the, the Delta strain in particular in a lot of markets. Uh, the second one is the vaccine uh, and how much, uh, you know, that goes forward. Um, and then one of the other ones is uh, kind of in school uh, or in-person schooling, um, which is a big issue if you're a single parent or if you have two parents uh, working outside the home and in the office uh, to, to get back. So kind of taking all those factors together and then trying to have some thoughts around, okay, this is what it looks like uh, is going to happen over the next few months. Now, how did you source the data in terms of like, you know, all, all the, all these factors that you're looking at, especially the return percentages? Yeah. So in the U S um, we accessed castle systems data. Um, and so they have data for people entering the buildings where they provide security outside the U S we actually uh, kind of did some analysis using Google, Google mobility data. Um, so in the U S we essentially uh, kind of analyzed how that correlated with the castle data and then use that as a proxy outside of the US. Um, there are some cases where we had to kind of look at the, how that looked uh, compared to some of the limits uh, at the government levels and make some adjustments. But that was sort of how we were looking at the um, occupancy, uh, employee occupancy or usage uh, of office space. And then, you know, the vaccine and, and uh, uh, virus data were also coming from third parties that are much more focused on that. So uh, IHME um, and our world and data is where we used a lot of that to understand both where it's been and they also uh, provide forecasts for that data. And, you know, of these various factors that you know, corporate executives may be taking into account. Do you think, are these kind of equal weight? Are there ones that are more imp more important in, in what's driving um, how decisions are being made at the corporate level in terms of bring, you know, what percentage of the workforce or, or how much of the week to bring people back? Yeah. So, um, so one of the inputs uh, that, I, that I didn't mention is, uh, kind of government regulation. And so that's sort of a base need, right? If the government is saying you can't congregate um, in the office or the only to a certain percentage, 
that's going to be the limit uh, for occupiers. Um, I think the second one is really kind of a combination of the virus and the vaccine, which is people's comfort level and how safe they feel, both in the office uh, and getting to the office, uh, which is why uh, you know we see markets like New York and San Francisco that are heavily dependent on public transportation have been a little slower uh, to return than say a market like Dallas, uh, which tends to be more car dependent for uh, commutes. Um, and there is data uh, that I've seen that shows that often workers are much more worried about getting to the office than they are about their health in the office. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, people feeling comfortable, feeling like they can be there, stay healthy and stay safe is really uh, an absolute baseline once you're, again, allowed by the government to be in the office. And then you start getting to, you know, how does it work in the employee's life in terms of are their kids back in school in person um, and those other factors? Can they be productive uh, in the office and or working remotely that start to, to bring those kind of uh, different variables, if you will, around, okay, should be people be back all the time? Should they be back two days, three days a week? Should it totally be up to each individual employee or each team? Um, and those are really team-specific and, and organization-specific decisions at that point. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some interesting factors in there. I find the public transportation one to be somewhat interesting because in reality, you know, like, I mean, you know, in, I'm in New York. And I've ridden the subway enough times. Everybody on the subway is masked and you're on and off the train in a fairly short amount of time. So it seems like in some ways, and I don't think there's a whole lot of evidence around transmission occurring on through public transit. So I wonder how, if, if that is part of the challenge for like a, at the corporate level to, to, to overcome that and to communicate with workforces around feeling safer about that part of the, the, the piece of getting back to the office. Yeah. And I mean, I think maybe the, <laughs> the, the unspoken part of your question is, is it just a convenient excuse? Um, because commuting uh, from New Jersey into New York, if it takes 90 minutes and two different trains is not the most fun thing to do in the world. And if there's also a risk of uh, health concerns or at least a perceived risk, it makes it much easier to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And, and that commute time is really where we've seen a growth in productivity during the pandemic is people who did have long commutes, 60 minutes and you know, 90 minutes, not having to do that every single day does free up some time to work on you know, actual work. And, and there was one study, and I can't remember who was by, that essentially showed that about half that time was being allocated to work and the other half was going to you know, personal pursuits with the average employee. And so that's, you know, again, on a 60 minute each way commute, that's an extra hour of work that the employer is getting and an hour of free time or personal chores that the employee is getting. So there are some benefits uh, to not having to do that every single day that might be impacting how employees think about the return to office, especially where we are right now, where not every employee is back or it's not the norm. Uh, and so there's, there's some leeway to, to kind of say, I'm not coming back yet until I feel safer. That, that's a huge point. Cause I, again, living, I mean, I live in this city, so my commute's never that bad. It's more like a 45 minute, but just having that time during even part of the week, um, it would be a hard adjustment. I feel like at this point, given the length of time where we have not commuted and then suddenly have to program that back into the schedule. Yeah. And, and that's why one, I think we're seeing 
companies communicate a lot about this up front and say, hey, here's our plan. Here's when we're going back. Here's how often we're expecting you to be back at that point. Um, even if they've had to change those plans. Uh, again, we saw that summer of 2020 when a lot of organizations thought post-Labor Day they would be back and then they adjusted that. And then even with the Delta, we saw people who were shooting for post-Labor Day push that back a month or two, or in some cases uh, to January, 2022. Um, so they're trying to over communicate with employees, which is obviously a, a net positive um, and builds that trust in that relationship. And I think we also are seeing organizations um, that are really trying to ease back into it and start to get employees used to some level of return, uh, knowing that it may not be five days a week anymore, even if it was pre-pandemic for most of their employees. Uh, but getting people in the office on a regular basis, two, three days, four days a week, is going to be a real net positive for the organization on the whole. I've seen a lot of talk about this, but it, like I think in terms of the getting a feeling for more specific measures people are taking, um, what about like the office experience itself and the workplace experience? I think pre-pandemic, the dominant trend was the move to open office spaces and and in a lot of markets, fewer square foot per employee employee in an office setting is that changing uh as, as as part of coming out of this yeah so during the last economic expansion we saw um densities essentially increase or the amount of square footage per employee decreased by about nine percent uh over that decade um so you're exactly right more and more organizations were trying to fit more people in in smaller amounts of space some of that was influenced by co-working and flexible office uh both them being very dense, but also creating a model of, hey, this is what space can look like and be efficient. Even before the pandemic started, we were seeing clients pull away from that a little bit, or at least stop the densification process, that there were real downsides to just huge bullpens of people, even if the, the coffee is really nice and the desks are you know, artisan wood. So it's not just about design, it was about offering the right mix of spaces for people so they could have some privacy when they needed it, they could focus when they did it. And that, by the way, is one of the big um, pluses that employees have reported during the pandemic is, oh, when I work from home, I can focus on you know, my focus work and not be interrupted by, you know, my loud neighbor or the phone call of someone two desks down from me when there are no walls. So I do think when we talk about layouts and how space was trending in the 2010s, we were already starting to see a little bit more movement towards space needs to be more flexible. We need to be able to give people neighborhoods where they can sit with their team, but also private spaces where they can just go and have a phone call or get work done. And then, you know, more social spaces where they can sit down, have a cup of coffee and get to know uh, a colleague or talk about what's going on either on a project or even on a personal level. Um, and so we're going to see a continuation of that, you know, space really needs to be flexible and versatile. Um, there needs to be space for people to co connect, to collaborate with each other. I think learning is going to be a big part of that. And that's both formal learning, but um, informal learning is even more important. The, can I just sit down and talk through something with you or look over your shoulder when you work on something. So having space that makes uh, sense there. I don't think we'll see um, like a huge de-densification. I don't think that uh, there's a long-term trend towards, hey, everything needs to be six feet apart. Um, I do think that there'll be a mix of, again, private space and public space, uh, and we won't see as much of the uh, kind of, again, just 
benching of seats and people just sitting next to each other. But that's more of a preference on how work actually gets done than I think a long-term concern about the health risks there. Um, so, you know, and so when we look at kind of our modeling of space demand, we're not, again, expecting it to go back to 250 square feet per employee, but we do expect that we won't continue to densify like we were in 2018 and 2019. I mean, another factor in that over time has also been the need for storage in office spaces, you know, filing cabinets, libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my, in our office, we used to have found volumes of past issues of all the magazines we published, like just, <laughs> right. just lining all the walls. Like those are all, those are all now in a storage facility in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> and we don't have filing cabinets anymore. <laughs> right. No, that's exactly right. I mean, I think one of the great examples of the last 20-ish years is the law library, right? Where firms would have just floors of space dedicated so that lawyers could go and look through case law. And that's all digitized at this point. Um, And so there's tons of examples of kind of non-person space, uh, storage space, server space that the cloud um, and our increased digitization um, really has changed that. And so the office itself can really be focused on the people uh, and the work they're doing. For um, occupiers that have come, you know, that are, have come to the end of their lease terms or are getting to the end of their lease terms, do you have a sense for like what kind of conversations are now happening in terms of um, renewals? Are, are, are people trying to take, wait and see? Are they trying to just delay things a little bit or are people making decisions about their future space usage right now? Yeah, so what we saw in the last three quarters of 2020 is a real elevated proportion of leases being renewals um, and those renewals being shorter on average than they were pre-pandemic. So that, you know, points to uh, companies saying, hey, we don't know what the future looks like. Let's just kind of hold steady for a year or two, get to the other side of this, and then we'll start making some longer term decisions. Um, in 2021, we've started to, to see both of those things reverse a little bit. They're not back to pre-pandemic norms, but more new leasing relative to renewals, uh, and the, the length of those leases is starting to get longer uh, again on average. Um, so you know, whether or not we get back and sort of are at a 2019 uh, equilibrium or not remains to be seen. Um, But we are seeing more and more organizations uh, taking longer term uh, commitments. Uh, We tend to see a flight to quality post uh, recessions that happened the last two recessions, where you'd see 80% or more of net absorption uh, would be in class A assets. We saw that in 2003, post.com, and we saw that three years in a row um, in 2010, 11, and 12, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, after the great financial crisis, uh, where a lot of the demand was in this high quality assets. And that makes sense because those are uh, at a bargain at that point, uh, right? So if effective rents drop, then that's the time to, to sign a 10-year, 15-year lease. If you know you're going to be in that market, in that space, you're, you know you're going to continue to grow. And we're seeing that already where new assets in particular, so new construction that was delivered in the last couple of years is outperforming. And in fact, net effective rents are up in those markets uh, or in those assets compared while we're seeing class B or more commodity products that effective rents have dropped. Um, And there's a lot of demand there. So um, we're we're expecting to see that continue, that flight to quality. Um, And we are seeing that, you know, companies 
you, know, you kind of originally asked what's the discussion? Companies are making all kinds of different decisions based on their situation. And then even within their portfolio, they have different types of conversations. You know, what, what are their offices that are really core to the mission and to their to their future? Um, and they are double down, doubling down in those markets, long-term leases, higher quality amenities, higher quality space, really focused on wellness for their employees. Um, what are potentially markets where they don't need um, as much space, um, maybe move to more of a hybrid model or um, even employees who are fully remote um, instead of being in that office every single day. Um, and then, you know, downsizing in some spaces where they, you know, will continue to need to be in those markets, but maybe not, again, not at the same capacity uh, of, of square footage. Um, so it's kind of all over the board within the company's strategy um, and where they're headed uh, down the road. But you know, generally, I mean, there's certainly some outliers, but generally we're seeing clients uh, thinking through how is office continue to be part of our business strategy moving forward. And are there any really interesting or off the wall amenities that you're seeing emerge as part of the changes here? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I I wouldn't say anything off the wall that comes to mind that, that I would say, I, you know, I mentioned wellness, that's going to continue to be uh, a really big uh, focus and it dovetails a little bit with sustainability. They're kind of a Venn diagram where they overlap and those are huge issues for um, landlords and building owners thinking about how they become more sustainable long-term. Um, and obviously occupiers are really trying to do that more and more. Um, and that can also lead into better air quality, uh, you know, less water usage, better experience for employees, more outdoor space, which um, can have some sustainability benefits, but also has real benefits to morale and uh, personal health. So I think that's a big part of that. And you might see more creative ideas of bringing, um, you know, healthcare to the office or even wellness things like massages and other things that employees really want and seeing that part of the amenities package. Um, and then, you know, I think right now when they're really trying to get people to get back and you have to sort of get over that tipping point where most people are back and then it becomes easier to say, oh yeah, I'm going to go in the office three days this week. Um, you know, we're seeing people do more events in their space, offer food and drinks and those sorts of things and tie those into meetings that they might be having so that, uh, you know, employees get excited about being there and get some, some benefits uh, that maybe they can't get at home, better food or free drinks or, or whatever that might be. So um, all of those things, and I think, uh, again, long, longer term, any technology or services that make employees' lives easier, um, so that can be easier to work out, which has been, you know, part of the office space for a long time. It can be easier to take care of errands. It can be easier uh, to handle their work, obviously, but also their personal lives. Um, we're going to see more and more of that. Um, again, space as a service type concept that really makes employees want to be there, um, both because they work well there, they get to see their colleagues, they get some energy from that, they get to collaborate and innovate, but also, you know, some of their normal life uh, challenges become easier as well. So, you know, one of the factors that we don't know, I think the, the report acknowledges straight out that one of the assumptions is that whether Delta is like the last wave or not, right. but assuming right. it is, what is the best guess for where we sit like a year from today? Yeah, so we didn't go 
that far out, um, you know, the data that we were looking at that provided forecasts um, around both the vaccine um, and the virus, uh, you know, looked into Q4 um, and generally had the good news of more and more people getting vaccinated around the globe and the good news of fewer and fewer, um, you know, daily infections from this kind of bump we've had in July and August globally. And here in the US it was a little bit later, more August. Uh, I think we peaked September 1st, um, at least the last time I looked uh, at those numbers. So uh, the expectation is that we move closer uh, and into what uh, experts call herd resiliency, which over 70% or more of people having had the virus or being uh, vaccinated. Um, and so I think the expectation is that in most markets around the world, uh, we will get into that range in 20, early 2022, maybe mid 2022. Um, and so that, uh, that along with just, uh, I think our species ability to adapt and sort of live with different uh, situations, you know, COVID and different strains may pop up here and there, but as we saw with the Delta strain, it had an impact on consumers and on GDP and things like that, but it was much smaller impact than uh, previous spikes that we had last winter or the summer of 2020, or certainly the first spike uh, in March. So uh, I think we're adapting and I think occupiers will adapt to how they, again, keep their employees safe, um, build trust with them, but continue to operate as an organization. And it seems like the other factor that could hopefully come into play was, I forget which company it was, but that new, tr the treatment, um, you know, the, like, more treatment options, which improve outcomes, because mm -hmm. if there are better outcomes for, if there are, you know, better treatments and better cures so that even people that are getting COVID are not getting as seriously sick and not straining the hospital system, that changes it. That, that also has huge impacts on, on how we have policies and how we act with, with this virus. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, the less likely it is for us to get infected, the more you know confidence we'll have. But also, the less uh, if we're able to lessen the downsides of getting infected. So, as you noted, if there are ways to treat it so that we don't have to go to the hospital, or the you know, likelihood of serious consequences or outcomes, health outcomes are relatively small, then it starts to act more and more like the flu or any other um, disease that we've faced. We're, we're not there yet, um, but as you noted, we may get there to where we sort of live with this. Uh, it's more of an endemic, um, but it becomes less and less of a, a drag on uh, economic uh, activity and or less of an indicator of whether or not we're going to be in the office or how we'll kind of operate as uh, organizations. So you, you mentioned this was the first part of um, a series of reports. So what, what was, again, the schedule for when we're going to see the, the, the next parts of this? Yeah, so I think the second report, which will be on uh, the net impact uh, of all this on leasing fundamentals, so sort of what is remote work and work from home and those sort of dynamics, uh, how does that play out once we get on the quote unquote other side of the pandemic, um, that will be out in either uh, November or really early December. Uh, and then the third, which is more about how occupiers are redesigning and utilizing their space in a post-pandemic uh, world or how they're thinking about it, at least, um, will come out in either December or January. Cool. And are there any other um, parts or takeaways from this report that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to highlight? No, I think, uh, yeah, I think we really covered it. Um, got kind of the, uh, <laughs> the juiciest bits. Cool. All right. Well, 
I want to thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through and in the show notes, we'll have a link um, to the report and to your bio if if folks want to learn more. Um, But I want to, again, thank you so much for for taking the time to to answer all my questions. Yeah, it's really a pleasure to, to speak with you, David. So thanks for having me. All right. Both of you, David, did a great job. Mr. Smith, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, it was fantastic. Great information. And of course, David Bodemer, thank you so much for arranging this and, and uh, conducting a great interview. Good information for everybody involved. Uh, and our last thank you, of course, goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. Today's podcast was brought to you by Moody's Analytics CRE. As a commercial real estate professional, you manage complicated decisions every day, and to make the right call, you need the full story. Moody's Analytics CRE harnesses the expansive, integrated data and analytical expertise from across the Moody's organization, then curates it specifically for commercial real estate professionals. Learn how to make better decisions and improve CRE workflows with the Moody's Analytics CRE Solution Suite at reese.com. That's R-E-I-S dot com.